Hello, and welcome everyone to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics that we live and breathe. I'm your host, Peter Cosmo, and today I'm joined by Allison Angus and Gina Westbrook. Hi, Pete. Thank you for having us. Exactly. Gina and Allie are the co-authors of Euromonitor's Top 10 Global Consumer Trends Report, which examines 10 consumer trends in the upcoming year. This year's report was released back in January, and obviously since then, the coronavirus pandemic has changed so much of consumers' everyday lives. So today we'll be examining each trend in the report and how COVID-19 has impacted them. But first, Gina and Allie, can you tell me how you go about choosing the consumer trends every year? Well, it's really a big, huge team effort because we're such a big company with so many operations all over the world. And it's quite a feat, really, just to come up from all the information we get all over the place. But how it works, basically, we use an industry market analysis. We use uh, quantitative global consumer surveys that we do. We try and make the most of our coverage. Um, then we prompt our analysts internally in each of our, what we call our industry verticals, and we poll the expert team for their insights. Then we build a big database of all the emerging trends and mine all our uh, trade interviews. At the sort of three quarters of the way through the year, we take everything into dynamic workshops and drill down collectively to pinpoint these short term emerging trends. That's important because there are our longer term mega trends. But what we're doing is really seeing what's tipping up now or six months ago, as it was then. Then we poll our research teams in our 15 global offices and ask them to rank these trends that we come up with. And we make the final cut to identify our top 10 for 2020. And then each trend is written up by one of our analysts working closely with all the industry teams and guided by our experts. So it's it's quite a thing, but it's it's a very satisfying process. I think I'd just add to that as well with these trends. The reason we kind of involve everybody is that ideally we want trends that have a global impact, but also cut across a lot of industries. So we're trying to get sort of far reaching trends. Um, that's that's really important. So one of the things yeah. we have to do is we have to sift out those that we don't feel have that impact globally or across industries. Um, but also, are they really ripe for the year ahead. That's the other important thing. They're the things that we expect to have the most significant impact um, in the year the year ahead of where we are at now. Yeah, actually, it's interesting because this first trend is an example of something that's been bubbling away in the background for a long time. We just didn't think the time was right, but now we do. And when we're talking about this first trend, uh, we're talking about beyond human. But let's talk about beyond human. So that's examining AI-driven technology. Uh, I mean, I, I know a lot of my friends, I have a Google Home, my friends have Alexa integrated devices. So what are we talking about exactly when we're talking about this AI driven technology? Well, it's more than AI. It's a shift to robots coming into our home, into our work. And it's really no longer sci-fi. Tech is trying to rise to the challenge. I think we're not completely trusting them yet, but we're accepting them. And as we're moving into the post lockdown phase, which is sort of, we hope, going to be fairly soon, maybe in the next month or two, consumers who will likely still be a bit fearful about the virus will be more confident about robotics and AI, having seen how businesses have been using it and possibly even experiencing it themselves. It's really pushing this trend and the tech is, I'm afraid to say, running behind a little bit in reality. So, the impact of the virus has brought in a much wider demographic as consumers across all demographics start accepting the advanced technology in their everyday lives. 
um, like these sort of things which have really popped up under CV. Um, robot companions combating loneliness, especially in the lockdown. But most of the biggest thing has been around no touch contactless robots this is where we've seen medical deliveries to hospitals, um, wide scale town um, detergent spray down, uh, disinfecting everyone or perhaps checking patients as they come into the hospital, taking their temperature without any contact with anybody. Moving into retail, consumers will be interested in what's happening in um, in China, especially in Asia, the meals delivery aggregator Meituan Jiangping used robots to provide their service by using the robot and taking the meals to the consumers and subsequently as a development of that groceries. And in this way, they've been expanding their reach into other areas. I think it's, it's just fascinating. I think what's also really interesting, I read, um, I read something recently about a guy who was in lockdown um, but he wanted to make sure his dog got his daily exercise and he used a drone to walk his dog. Now, maybe that's something we see in the future if we're being too lazy, <laughs> no. right? <laughs> and I think a big thing as well for consumers is that, you know, you talk about we, we have got Alexas and things and we've all, you know, starting to invest in smart home devices. And one of the big things about smart home devices is people are looking about the pollution inside their homes now. Um, and But actually, you know, if you've got Alexa turning your lights on or you can see who's coming to you, your door through your smart security camera and stuff, these are all things that actually are more hygienic or they make you feel safer. So, you know, wiping yeah. down surfaces and things like that. So um, that's how that helps. With all this improved technology accessibility, it seems like consumers can access information. Well, I mean, kind of in the blink of an eye now, which brings us to the second trend, catch me in seconds. How are how are consumers getting more information in less time? Yeah, so I think consumers for some time have really struggled to cut their way through sort of the masses of information that's out there now. Um, it's been building up and building up um, and they really need to sort of get to what they need to know quickly. Um, but the problem is they don't have time or they might not even have the inclination to to get through everything. And we know attention spans get shorter and shorter, particularly with the with the younger generations. So. Um, so they just want to get to the bits that they need to know about um, as quickly and easily as possible. Um, so the point here is that business has to catch consumers quickly. Um, and there's a few ways they can do that. Um, more personalised and tailored messages and narratives that really get to the, to the point that they're more concise. Um, and of course, uh, we're moving more and more into the use of audio and multi-sensory channels and platforms. So, for example, YouTube, um, that's obviously one of the most popular channels for finding things out nowadays. Instagram, it's very short, concise narratives um, and any social media channels, really, they, they've got um, a wide and instant reach. So particularly with short live stories and video content that can be uploaded. So if you think about TikTok, for example, um, TikTok's pretty new, but in the last year, it's become hugely popular with consumers because they can make their own videos and post them. But already we're seeing businesses starting to use that channel um, because, again, it's short, it's concise and it can really attract consumers. I guess the difficulty is that right now, and if you compare it to the likes of Instagram, um, the, the user numbers are quite small. So maybe don't appeal to uh, too many businesses right now, but there are people starting to use it. Uh, Calvin Klein, Crocs, and 
it's maybe a good one for local businesses as well. So I think Santiago Zoo, um, Santiago Zoo uses it to sort of show images of things like animals being fed and stuff. So, and I think social media is one of the key things within this. If we think about uh, Euromonitor's lifestyle survey, our global lifestyle survey, the biggest influences for consumers nowadays are their friends, are their family, um, and social media posts and independent reviews. They they don't necessarily listen to brands as such. They want to hear what the people they trust in say. So actually using social media to get the messages through to consumers is really important. And I wanted to highlight gamification as well. This is another really cool way. Incorporating gaming concepts into narratives. Um, it could be actually uh, in a real game that messages get highlighted um, <clears throat> or actually using sort of gamification um, as a business, so like McDonald's, for instance, has seen huge success with that, with its annual Monopoly campaign, yeah. really builds awareness and drives sales. So what I want to highlight here is obviously um, business needs to invest in technology um, to get that more instant visual and multi-sensory messages that can work across multiple platforms. And of course, AI, um, really important but keeping it dynamic and fun as well. And then obviously coronavirus has come along and in the short term, it's accelerated this trend because right now we don't have so many face-to-face -face interactions. And actually we are desperate to find out information about the virus itself and, and what we need to do, what it means to us. So we've got even more information. We're kind of desperately trying to cut to the, what does it mean for me? Um, so it really highlights how this catch me in seconds trend is is so important right now. And the other point I want to make about it right now for this trend is that the focus has changed. So for businesses, it's not about promoting your products, promoting your services. It's actually about promoting how there's a business are helping people, how they're supporting people in their health, how they're um, supporting people to feel safer and just being there for people. And a, a good example of this is, um, so GiftGaff were very clever. Um, they very quickly identified this need to be supportive. They had a campaign that they were going to run later in the year that they'd already filmed a lot of it and they brought it forward. And basically this campaign is just people, everyday people talking on video about how they help each other and, and how to take care of your mental health and things. And they brought that forward and then they added some tips and, and information about uh, COVID-19 and about how to um, keep yourself healthier and safe during this process. So so what they yeah. did is really kind of show how people's values and preferences had kind of changed in this short term and how to communicate with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we're all suffering above all from a huge information overload. Yeah. So something which is really targeted, short and to the point and hits the note exactly right is really useful. There's no point in bombarding us with anything extra. Yeah, I feel like uh, I've gotten most of my information about coronavirus from social media, whether that's just, you know, logging into Twitter and seeing, you know, a myriad of, of brands and officials tweeting about it. But also I've noticed uh, on almost every social media platform that I have now, there is some sort of specific hub. Even on Spotify has a coronavirus hub when you log in so you can get more information about it. I, I think that's really interesting. That's really good. So one thing I want to talk about if we're talking about, you know, getting information fast and moving fast 
um, we're looking at a trend called frictionless mobility, where we talk about consumers embracing multiple transport options, you know, basically using them to get from point A to point B faster than they did before. So if we can just shift gears for a little bit, I know in the lens of coronavirus, people aren't using public transit, this kind of frictionless mobility, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But um, let's talk about it as far as consumers getting to this point of embracing multiple transport options. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Um, so with this trend, we very much uh, saw saw this taking a huge step forward this year. So basically, we have cities where driving around using cars and vehicles is becoming a lot less common. Authorities themselves are trying to reduce congestion and pollution. So they, they've been introducing charges for vehicles inside cities. So so what we saw is people moving away from owning um, cars and vans, et cetera, and instead moving to using public transport more and shared mobility services. Obviously, we've got a growing urban population, people moving into the cities. So actually, our cities are getting bigger. Um, they're getting more crowded and even new cities are forming on the back of that. So all of that's been putting more and more pressure on, on existing transport systems. What we were thinking this year is that we we expected to see people looking for more alternative ways of getting around the cities. And they wanted a lot more flexible approach to this. So relying less on one single method. Don't just want to get on a train and get from A to B or don't, not just get on a bus. Um, they want different options. And that's for various reasons. So um, it could be to do with different budgets. Um, it could be they want to see a way that saves them time. Um, could even be that specific occasions or weather, you know, maybe they would normally uh, take a scooter, but actually it's raining. So I'm going to take the bus, for instance. So um, they they just really looking at all these different options. But the thing is about with this is, is about making this frictionless. So how can consumers find the best way, the quickest way to get from A to B without it having any impact on them, without, you know, using too much of their time? So a lot of people were starting to use new apps that help them plan these ways of getting around and also keeps them up to date. So they can go on these apps and they can um, plan the best way to get to where they want to go. They can buy their tickets, pay for their tickets, and then they can even get personalised recommendations. So everything's seamless, everything's easy and everything's really efficient. So that's what was happening. Um, but obviously, COVID-19 um, has completely stalled this uh, trend yeah. for the moment. Movement is really limited. Uh, most of us are in some form of isolation or lockdown. Many people are working from home. So those that have to go out, so essential workers or people who need to deliver food to friends or family, even those are a bit fearful of using public transport or shared services. So, you know, we saw this rise in scooter, electric scooter, electric bike sharing businesses. A lot of them have had to close, at least for now. Um, and then if we think about post lockdown, this isn't something that's going to suddenly come back up straight away because consumers will resurface and companies will organise a gradual return to work. But I think there will be this fear of resurgence of infection for quite some time. And that means we'll probably still see people avoiding crowded public transport or they will look, you know, they'll be looking for sort of sustainable and safe mobility options. And one thing we're seeing is um, governments incentivizing cycling 
Um, we think we'll see more cycle lanes and routes being opened. And I think in Germany, they've actually started to um, repaint the lane markings so that they're wider and they've got more space so that people can actually um, uh, be a safe distance while they're cycling, be it to work or just out and about. So in the short term, not much happening. If anything, people reverting to the use of cars um, because of these safety concerns. Um, but ultimately, this will come back and uh, we will see, I think, you know, things like scooters um, and bikes being used more because they are more sustainable, gives them these more, more different options. And I think public transport will struggle for a while. But it is a trend that will come back as we get back to some sort of normality, whatever that is. This is probably the trend I identify with the most. Yeah. I live um, right in the heart of Chicago almost. I don't have a car. So anywhere I'm going was either bus or train or bike sharing. Um, they had a, a electric scooter program last summer in Chicago where they, you know, tested out a myriad of different scooter companies here. Yeah, it's funny. Um, even before before lockdown hit, uh, I was out actually trying to find a new place to live. You know, I had to go to these different apartments and you know meet with landlords and whatnot. And there was almost nobody on public transportation, even before we had an official lockdown. So it's interesting wow. that you mentioned this, you know, the post COVID world, because I think you're, you know, 100% right on that, that people are going to be afraid to be in these crowds. And I mean, public transportation is one of the most crowded things you can do on a daily basis. So one thing I was going to highlight here about, um, and this is what's key for business, and not just for, for mobility, about investing in solutions that remove or limit health threats. Um, and Wheels is a US-based um, scooter hire company. Yes, yeah. They, they shut down for a while, but they've actually been able to uh, redeploy their scooters because they've um, linked up with a company called Nanoseptic, and they've um, they've created these covers for uh, these self-cleaning handlebar covers. So that's the sort of thing that can actually sort of encourage people to go back to using them if they think they've got that sort of safety net and this removal of, of uh, a health threat. So one thing I wanted to talk about as we uh, discuss mobility is that most of these transit options, you know, bikes, scooters, that kind of thing, they don't necessarily cater to people with physical or, or mental disabilities. But according to the GCT report for 2020, that is kind of on the cusp of change. And so uh, I know the trend is called inclusive for all, and it shows us that companies are kind of reframing their products and services to be more accessible to everyone. Well, yes, and surely that's going to come about. So what do you think the catalyst was for this trend? I think the absolute game changer for inclusiveness was the phenomenal success of the Paralympics in raising awareness. At Rio's Summer Olympics, I mean, it's just gone up and up the success, not just of the numbers of people involved, but in the audience and the viewing figures. So people are actually interested and have their eyes opened to what um, disability means and what it can you can still do with a disability. Um, at Rio's Summer Olympics, I think 160 countries fielded 4,000 athletes in line with a bigger voice for disability rights and legislation leading the way. I think this is going to get bigger and bigger. Well, it's still far from sorted. And a growing awareness of hidden disabilities. We're much more mindful about me mental health issues. So we're, we're more aware and more thoughtful about what things might be bothering people. 
companies are more and more inclusive and it, this all resonates with health and wellness in general and building trust between the consumer and the companies when they see them doing things which are inclusive and thoughtful. They're partnering with local organisations and disabled communities, providing insights into new product development through right through to marketing for all types of disability and that's visible or hidden. We've seen it, I think, having an impact in all sorts of industry from fashion with tailored apparel, toys and games. And Microsoft launched its Xbox adaptive controller, which allowed individuals with limited mobility to join the gaming community so everybody can play together. Not, they're not boxed off. I love the little Barbie with disabilities, which um, Mattel's just brought out. There's one in a wheelchair, uh, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. I love that. In Israel, IKEA launched Visibles, I think, last year, and they partnered up with two cha local charities to R&D, uh, the range, and they had nicely designed easy handles on wardrobes, glass bumpers around things, curtain grippers. And this was the idea was then taken forward and adapted, sold worldwide by um, IKEA after that. And I think that's that's really important that the design is good and it's not simply clunky, ugly, um, outside the mainstream. They're doing a really great job. It democratises disability in the home, improves living conditions with a well-designed, accessible range, putting disability at the core of its business, not some adjunct on the outside. Now, how does that affect COVID? Well, when we come out of lockdown, down, most of us will have experienced firsthand what it's like to be isolated, living through that experience, understanding it, and hopefully becoming more empathetic. I'm I'm optimistic, but I really think there's been a sea change. We've seen great community spirit everywhere, more people investing their own time, helping people in need and putting even more pressures on business to do more, to include less able communities, do the right thing. There's a really neat little idea which Edinburgh based startup Neatbox is offering supermarkets, giving them access to technology which it believes could make life under lockdown easier for millions of people with visible or hidden disabilities. They think that all these rules that we're all familiar with now are going into into supermarkets, social distancing rules, queues, changing opening times, dedicated hours for key workers. All those things can really pile up to increase anxiety. Mm. The welcome app can help supermarkets and other shops adapt to this fast changing situation to become more accessible to those with slight challenges or severe autism, for example, through a little system that allows the customers to alert staff in advance of their arrival, their specific needs. I mean, it's faintly disturbing to have that kind of, um, and I think it probably ties into the personalization trend that we're talking about later, that, but accepting that kind of support from a supermarket in a really positive way, I think is one of the good angles. And the over almost overnight move to remote and virtual livings helped open doors for disabled communities. It's they're benefiting from this increased use of tech to give the consumers virtual access to events, entertainment, leisure online. There's all sorts of examples how the cultural sector has really risen to the challenge, opening up places, making them accessible. Uh, the National Cultural Her Heritage Administration provided tours of live activities in galleries and museums in China. It's this kind of virtual reality functionality that makes experience not only accessible to a public who can no longer get in, but makes it accessible and 
inclusive. Yeah, I guess if we're going to if we're going to talk about positives, which there are very few positives from, you know, an outbreak like this, uh, it does seem to be bringing a lot of people together, you know, making things more inclusive and uh, a good aspect to think about as we're all sitting in isolation. So just have to hope it's a sea change and not just in that moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I know you touch briefly on the fact that, you know, social distancing can cause a little bit more anxiety. And I think that goes hand in hand with the stat I read in the report that one in four adults in the developed world suffer from anxiety uh, and under half of them receive treatment. So we've seen a lot of consumers, even in the pre-COVID world, and I can't, I have to imagine this is exponential now that people are turning to self-medication in a trend that uh, you've called minding myself. My first question would be, in a pre-COVID world, where is the anxiety coming from? And then how are consumers self-medicating? <laughs> I know that's a big question. It is a very big question. Yes. Well, we know these anxieties have probably all been around for forever. The difference now is that we're increasingly permitted to acknowledge them. We can show, we can share with the world, or we can see, we can understand what's happening to yourself and to other people. We found that I think about 70% of the global respondents in our survey felt that stress and anxiety were having a severe or moderate impact on current health. 70%. I mean, that's that's huge, isn't it? Very big. It means prioritising mental health, searching for products positioned to address specific well-being needs. We think that 2020 is going to see a really strong shift in purchasing behaviour. Look at the way that the future of socialising itself is morphing. Consumers are moving towards less harmful stimulants. They want to have fun and de-stress, but in a more natural way, moving away from the mainstream self-medicating stress relief, which we've known for years, alcohol and cigarettes, and towards what we've called outcome-based products to address specific mental well-being needs. These can help with mood enhancement, relaxation, stress and anxiety relief, boosting brain function, all these sorts of things in an outcome-based product. They won't base a purchasing decision on whether a product has a specific ingredient or less likely to. Instead, they are beginning to buy for a, a specific outcome, how it's going to make them feel. Cannabis is positioned as a pain-relieving, anti-inflammatory and calming ingredient and positioned to aid a range of functions from sleep to relaxations. And it's been included in many product formulations. Mindful drinking, where consumers either abstain altogether or consume low alcohol variants, is on the rise. And there's been really strong growth in non-alcoholic spirits. We've seen that everywhere. Um, what about COVID? Well, as you said... The anxiety has increased exponentially. Fear of the unknown, information overload, all these are going to embed our, this trend further. For some, claustrophobia might be an issue. Being locked down with your families, your children, your flatmates, your partner, on your own, with no outlet for physical or mental space. People are having to mentally rebalance as they learn to live in a new state of unprecedented normality. As they start to look to manage their feels, feelings of anxieties, they're going to look even more for these products and services that help them handle both emotional and physical situation. I think um, one of the big ways is looking, reaching out to social networks to fill that gap and downloading relaxation meditation products. There's a really nice little online therapy platform which was launched this month in Spain called Mind Hope. And it's what's nice about that is that you can book your online mental health 
professional appointments through a very familiar WhatsApp platform. Yeah, and as far as physical uh, well-being, I know uh, a lot of coworkers and I've been doing, you know, YouTube online workouts and stuff like that to just try to keep up, you know, try to keep physical, try to keep active, try to keep positive. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of that as well. I think yoga is really big. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And meditation apps and uh, relaxation apps, they're all um, seeing a huge uplift in, in usage as well. I, th I think this is really scary how many people will come out of this with issues in terms of mental health. So as, as we're seeing consumers spend more time with themselves, staying at home, obviously, uh, I'm looking at the report and we're talking about this trend of the multifunctional home. So saying that consumers really don't have to leave and now are, are forced to stay at home. So how are multifunctional homes making it a little bit easier for people to be in this situation? Well, perhaps for the first time for many years, many consumers not only don't want to leave their homes, but also they don't have to. Thanks to the proliferation of high-speed internet access, a host of innovative goods and services, global consumers are increasingly able to exercise, shop, work, play from the comfort of their own multifunctional home. And this was before COVID. According to our, our survey, working from home is already common amongst global consumers across the regions. Nearly 70% working from home at least weekly at some point. That's another pretty amazing 70%er. Without having to spend time commuting, remote workers have got more time to complete other productive activities at home as well. Respondents said that they clean, socialise with those who live with them and exercise from home at least weekly. The home is set to evolve in a, into a totally multifunctional space. Well, actually, this, we think this is clearly the one that has had the biggest push from COVID. Sure. And um, self-isolation and lockdown have led to working from home becoming the new norm. So we've got VPN, we've got video conferencing, got other web-based communication tools. They're all really helping this and supporting it. Online learning for all ages, real-time gym classes like you just mentioned, other educational learning forums. So what's the really, really big change that moves beyond, pushes beyond uh, what we were already discovering? We're social animals. It means we're partying alone, but online and social media has become our life, our social life. Consumers use it less to promote themselves and more to stay connected with others, increasingly using these live stream and video chat features. Parties, pub quizzes, uh, dances, all sorts of things I've been doing over the past four weeks. And I'm <laughs> same, sure I'm not same. alone. Yeah. And me too. I think we all have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. Already expected to be dramatic and far-reaching, the transition to the home as a hub has happened and not in its stream form. And for sure, it's something that's really here to stay. As we resurface out of all this, consumers will have changed their home habits. Remote work will become more widespread. Home delivery will be standard. Casual dressing every day becomes a norm. Virtual lifestyles will sit alongside physical lifestyles and that will be a happy state to be. People will be used to it. Businesses and infrastructure will have adapted completely to support the multifunctional home. So Zoom is one of those real biggies. Before it was just remote conference surfaces company that hosted meetings, webinars and virtual conference rooms for large numbers of participants. But now it's really captured a social audience as many people use it for a remote video 
chats and these quizzes and parties and happenings. It's not surprising actually that both Microsoft and Google announced this month that they'd be offering corporate customers extended access to enterprise versions of online collaboration tools. They are sure hoping that offering these enhanced services to people for free may lead to some becoming paying customers as, as they support their versions. It's funny that you mentioned, um, you know, obviously more consumers were working from home before the, the COVID crisis hit. But I know I have friends who weren't allowed to work from home at all, and now they're forced to. So I wonder how many companies are going to come out of this being like, well, now we have to let people work from home, you know? Well, yes, um, absolutely. And not only that, they will begin to be refiguring how much they need their big office space. I wouldn't like to be invested in uh, real estate now, office real estate. I mean, I already had like a semi-home office set up. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of us were kind of set to go, but a, a lot of people weren't. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting how this plays out in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about multifunctional homes, we talk about, you know, video conferencing and all that. It sounds like companies are going to need a lot of private and personal data from consumers. Is that right? Yep, that's uh, that definitely the case. Um, so I think these homes are... They people's homes are getting smarter. We've mentioned before, homeowners, um, they're investing in smart devices and appliances and increasingly so now. Um, however, the reason they're so useful to consumers is that they use personal information about the households and about the individuals that are in those, those homes. So it sounds like that kind of plays into the trend in the report of private personalization. And that's where we're talking about consumers expecting brands to tailor products and services to them. But as a result, they're surrendering more and more of their personal data. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is, um, this is a complicated trend. It's a, it's a contradictory trend. So you're absolutely right that consumers expect brands to personalize products and services to them specifically so that um, they can get um, the most out of out of what they're ordering. Um, so they have to let companies act, give, have access to their personal information. And not just that, consumers want, they want a smart fridge that will automatically reorder their groceries and they want Alexa to manage their schedules and turn the lights on. But they fear they're being spied on by their smartphone or their smart TV. Um, I don't know about you, but so how many times do you sit and everything's very quiet and my Alexa starts whirring around and turning green and I'm thinking, well, what's it listening to? What's it doing? So, um, so yeah, so we're growing more and more concerned about who has access to our data and, and how it's being used. So what we're seeing is this rise in individuals that want personalised goods and services to improve our life, but we want our privacy too. It's a real contradiction and that's really difficult for businesses to be able to address. So for these consumers, they really need to understand what information companies are collecting about them and how they're using it. So business really needs to be completely transparent with that. Um, if consumers trust that companies are using their data responsibly, then they're more likely to share it and they're more likely to fear it less. As well as that, for business, um, they're exploring new models that can help them improve their relationships with consumers. There's this growing market for products and services that 
appealed to consumers who generally would stay off the grid. Um, so they're developing products to keep consumers' privacy. Um, so things like there's glasses that stop facial recognition technology, and that's something that's going to become more important because increasingly, you know, we mentioned earlier about people going into the supermarket and having somebody there to greet them, sort of maybe people with a disability. Mm -hmm. Facial recognition is going to be one of those technologies that, that helps drive that. So that's a great thing. But on the other hand, you know, some people don't want that. So creating a product like a wearable of some sorts that stops that person being identified will really suit some people. But I want to talk about this in another way. So let's look at COVID-19. Yeah. It's come to a halt. This is another one that's come to a halt. Right now, consumers don't care so much about their privacy of data. What they care about is their health and their safety. So right now, they're actually willing to share data to get that uh, the safety stuff they mm -hmm. need. And health apps are doing really well right now, for example. Um, and if you think about online shopping, new audiences are coming out. Um, consumers who previously wouldn't have used online shopping, so maybe older consumers, older generations who don't trust um, online, online um, shopping and payments, all of a sudden they're doing it. And actually, if they if they see that it's not an issue and they see that actually their banks aren't being raided, they'll continue to do online shopping. So really for businesses, it's, it's, they need to give a whole new narrative that appeals to different um, consumer types that are suddenly using their online services. As consumers expect these products and services to be tailored towards them, you know, it's no wonder that consumers would kind of take pride in that individuality. We're looking at the trend proudly local going global, and that states that consumers desire to adopt and appeal to a sense of individuality and growing national identity from local inspiration. What exactly does that mean? Well, basically, it's a backlash lash against uh, multinationalization and globalization. Not just that, but valuing a homegrown culture and seeing how the homegrown might be able to be pushed internationally. Consumers around the world are increasingly identifying with their national, their local products, highlighting local cultures, social norms, traditional habits. It's a bit driven by migration and culture diversity. And this trend has been resulting in niche brands expanding their global reach. So it's like a two way traffic, but people locally taking the reins a little bit more. There's deeper ethical value shifts beyond self-expression and consumption driving the desire. Consumers are prioritizing environmental responsibility. They know they can do this whilst helping local businesses thrive and reconnect with their communities. Shoppers are perhaps a bit more discerning about where they buy. More than 27% of global uh, respondents can, on average, try to shop in locally owned stores now. This reflects a, a really subtle but significant shift away from international retail chains and a return to community roots. The ethical or eco-provenance of products is important to proudly local going global consumers, as well as the desire to purchase niche non-mainstream brands. Uh, in the US, the shopping mall and chained retail experience feels homogenized and steadily less appealing. People want to reconnect with their neighborhood and support local independent traders. I think it's it's more than what we've called localization. It's more than that. It's more seeing how how people can be pride with what they have to offer and sell outwards. We think that COVID's in, reinforced 
the retreat from globalization towards reliance on local sellers because just of the the state in which we find ourselves literally overnight borders were closed and international distribution and travel was restricted perhaps also this greater sense of getting through this together that the virus has created that we've referred to it's given consumers a bigger sense of wanting to support their local businesses and communities as well it's changing values mm -hmm. as we come out of lockdown we're going to see continued anxiety and concerns about the resurgence of it and that fear over safety was going to drive demand for local origin products that haven't traveled too far haven't been involved in any kind of virus potential carried on in the chain so that you can know directly where the thing has come from and you know that as few people as possible have been involved in touching it Local retailers need to be reacting. They need to be able to define and cater for their community and stop the products that they want. Brand supply chains can aim to be fully transparent and consumers demand full disclosure, authenticity more than ever. Beyond 2020, the aftershock will see consumers change their habits, buying more locally produced items and supporting local businesses as the recession kicks in, as long as the prices are acceptable, of course. Local and independent businesses benefit. Multinationals respond with more rapid investment in local manufacturing and supply, as well as adapting their products to local tastes. That's some really sweet new developments. I just wanted to point up a few that I've come across. There's one called sure, yeah. crowdfarming.com. It's like a, a new transparent and sustainable way to source food. They're uh, big farming collectives across globally. You can receive your fresh food cultivated just for you straight from the farmers and help fight, fight food waste. This means that consumers can bypass retail altogether and that anxiety of going into supermarkets. So a little personal thing, there was this um, company called, I found through crowd farming called Carlos Organic Farm Oranges. And I've got a lovely crate of late Valencia oranges from Spain myself. I need but to it, get those details from you. <laughs> oh, they're so gorgeous, honestly. Lovely. And it felt really lovely because you knew you had the story, the history yeah. of Carlos's organic farm oranges. And there they are. And they're really, Brilliant. really delicious. Local food markets are coming virtual marketplaces. They're collaborating, working together on the merchandising and distribution. So in the middle of Oxford, there's a very famous covered market made up of lots of little independent operators. And they've all got together and produced a virtual marketplace. People can buy the stuff direct for them and then it's packaged centrally there and then delivered locally. Or another sweet, um, lovely initiative as a, a Durham wheat grower in Italy grew their own wheat, made it into the pasta on the same farm and then exported directly to the consumers. I think this is exactly what proudly local going global could look like. And this is really being pushed thanks to COVID. Yeah, I know there's been a huge uh, push by businesses and consumers, you know, to support uh, local businesses. And I know, you know, it's it's a shame, obviously, that there's a lot of local businesses out there who probably won't make it out of this, of, of the uh, pandemic to see through to the other side. But, you know, I know there's a huge push to support as many as you can. Yeah, it's kind of questioning the way things have been done, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, And seeing that there yeah. might be alternatives. And I think thanks to the the internet, we can take, We, I mean, we've seen this for ages, haven't we? How uh, people can take things into their own hands by using the internet and subvert, subvert, disrupt. 
and so as consumers shift to local brands, you know, with this sense of ethical duty, I have to imagine that there's a sense of morality that's kind of spilling over into other aspects of consumers' lives. So if we look at this reuse revolutionaries trend, uh, we're seeing more consumers sharing, reusing, refilling, renting. What are your thoughts behind this, especially, you know, looking at it from a, a COVID lens? Yeah, this is really interesting. We've got a couple of trends um, that we identified for 2020 that are very much about environmental issues. And, um, you know, we know today's consumers' environmental issues are, have been right at the top of their agenda. Um, so last year, there was a big push on plastic. Um, and in 2020, while plastic is still high on consumers' agendas, the focus has broadened. Um, and a big trend is this increasing demand for sharing and reusing um, products, repurposing and, and refilling. So we've seen this building um, really mainly from millennials for some years. Um, they've prioritized experiences over ownership. So, and that's filtered out to other consumer groups, especially younger generations. So what we were seeing this year is consumers demanding new business models that avoid waste generation. And this is what this is all about. It's about repurposing waste or having longer lasting products. So the point is recycling is not enough anymore. These reuse revolutionaries um, are really focused on finding ways to reduce their carbon footprint and, and looking for ways to reuse products and materials over and over. Mm -hmm. Kind of, if we think about this, uh, it, it's a bit of a return to the old-fashioned milkman, refilling multi-use packaging across many industries, be it from food and beauty to household cleaning. You just send back your packaging, your empty packaging, and the company refills it with whatever it is that you were after, be it um, beauty creams or uh, detergents. So a lot of this has been driven by technology. So subscription services is a big, a big thing behind this. Um, sure, yeah. Yeah, but we've been seeing it emerging just in generally in stores. So in supermarkets, um, some supermarkets have got aisles that have been given over completely to refill stations. And we're seeing that happen more and more. Um, companies are selling spare parts and then they're teaching consumers how to repair products. Um, they're launching buyback um, schemes so they can recover materials, um, potentially to repurpose them or resell them. Um, so there's many things. So digital technologies, like I'm saying, is bringing back this kind of milkman with sustainable doorstep deliveries, offering much more than the milk, right? Yeah, I have a uh, I have a subscription service to a uh, a toothbrush. So oh, wow. <laughs> I get my yeah every three months I get a tube of toothpaste and a new uh, electric toothbrush head. So. Oh, that's brilliant. Do yeah. they take the old one back? Uh, no, no, unfortunately, no. You have to toss it. But it's pretty. It's a pretty tiny head, so it's not. I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. But... I've not heard of that one. That's a really nice one. I like that. It's called Quip. Yeah, okay. you should check it out. Yeah. Right. That's the sort of thing that we're seeing more and more businesses doing. And if you think about it, with so much of the stuff that we use in everyday life, we can do that, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think with consumers, they see this as an opportunity to really contribute to keeping waste out of landfills. So um, more and more we're, we're saying to business, you know, please move and shift to, to more reuse and refill models. And they can be alongside their traditional selling models. But, you know, companies that offer different options are, are going to really benefit. So... Again, this, uh, well, all the trends are pretty much impacted by um, COVID. Um, 
coronavirus, however, has really stimmied the, the sharing world. So obviously with things about reusing and refilling brings about concerns on health and touching products that have previously been used. So right now, consumers are rethinking their focus. Um, when they were open, uh, many, many aren't now, but coffee shops, um, for instance, have halted the use of reusables so you can't bring in your personal coffee cup and have it filled so they're reverting back to single use and disposable items and we're seeing a lot of that happening across the board so really I guess the saying is clean comes before green right now um, so post lockdown consumer confidence in public health will slowly return um, very slowly return but as it does this trend will get reignited because the bottom line is that sustainability will stay very close to consumers' hearts. One thing there are already signs of as we go through this crisis is, is a move towards packaging-free consumption. And that could be something that sticks. Um, so maybe, you know, this just has a big impact on the packaging industry. Um, when, when we do go back to whatever normality becomes in the future, reuse will become important, but also this move to, to not necessarily having as much packaging. So we'll revert for sure. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the, uh, the coffee shops because I know along that same line in the state I live in, you know, there's been a huge push um, for people using reusable bags when they go out shopping. And even now I'm seeing a bunch of stores, you know, if I try to go in and use a reusable bag, they're saying, well, you can't bring that in. You need to use the store plastic bag because they're afraid of where, you know, where the bag has been, your reusable bag. So that's interesting. I haven't seen yeah. that in the UK. I don't know if it's like, a, I don't think it's a statewide or citywide initiative. I think it's like a store by store uh case but yeah it's an interesting like reversed trend from what Absolutely. we've been seeing so. and that, that's the point it is reversing um yeah. you know we are suddenly going from like we don't want to use any single use plastic to all of a sudden it's like yep whatever we have to do to make sure we don't catch coronavirus right right so finally we'll, we'll look at the last trend here which kind of ties into this uh this aim of for consumers to reduce waste uh, they also want to help the global environment in other ways. And so the last trend we're going to look at is we want clean air everywhere. So that points to travel backlash. And I, I have to imagine this is has a new a new face in the light of uh, coronavirus, but I'm going to let you talk about it. So absolutely, absolutely. This is uh, this is great. This one. Um, so, yeah. Let's take a step back to um, January when we published this white paper. And um, again, this is another environmental focused trend. Consumers putting air quality in the limelight. So we saw a lot of activism last year about this. So, um, But we're so much more aware about how badly our air is polluted and what it means. Um, so especially in terms of our sort of our own and our families and friends personal well-being. So we're much more knowledgeable. Um, we know that air, poor air quality uh, increases the chances of uh, bad, bad health, such as lung cancer, for example, or heart disease. And in big cities, especially in some emerging markets, so Beijing, Mexico City, Shanghai, the air pollution is so bad that sometimes schools get closed or people advise not to do any physical exercise outdoors. And that's horrendous. Um, Many cities already exceed the World Health Organization's safe air pollution limits. Um, and 
we all we're seeing is growing urbanization so the more these cities become populated the worse the air's getting so for consumers uh, these factors means they've pushed back they've been pushing governments pushing businesses to take action to help clean the air up um, but also changing their own habits and behaviors and like you said pete the the travel backlash or even just down to generally being more considered about our purchase choices asking ourselves what's the impact on our air quality of me buying this particular product or using this service um, so businesses have been facing huge pressures to uh, devise and implement solutions that really safeguard the environment um, there's been a, a real big push on air quality monitoring devices for example or ecological cleaning products and anti-pollution clothing and of course non-motorized transport options so go back to frictionless mobility right but coronavirus came along everything stopped yep <laughs> a few people traveling and we've all moved indoors so literally overnight and i say literally overnight we suddenly have clean air it's amazing how quickly our air has has returned to to some sort of normality as such so yeah i've seen some some nasa images or something of like before and after coronavirus hit and just like the stark contrast of uh, of clean air is amazing i mean it's really upped people's awareness of what has been going on it's a real chance isn't it to 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 uh, consider yeah like i think we've said that we we can see that people can see the himalayas from hundreds of miles away for the first time in years yeah and, and we're porpoises uh, in your local river that's right yeah dolphins yeah. in the canals in venice and uh, and yeah. all sorts so so yeah it's great the climate's changed for the better and um so so right now consumers aren't focused on air um they don't need to be it's all it's all going well um so this is another positive that's coming out of coronavirus right now so for for consumers it's just they're thinking about their health but they're also thinking about their indoor pollution i think that's one of the big things yeah. being stuck indoors they're thinking of that more so um um but okay so as lockdown um lockdowns lo loosen and people slowly return to work and going out and moving around again um like you said we'll be much more aware of these lower air pollution levels um so what that will do it will bring consumers back to refocusing on sustainable living and this trend will become important again um and particularly as if you link it to health as well so we're all much more focused on our health um so acknowledgement that that the impact of air pollution has on us particularly on things like respiratory health and respiratory viral infections such as this be interesting to see how um we change in terms of what we do you know how many people will fly as often as they used to for example right. it's going to be an interesting scenario yeah and it's quite interesting wasn't it the face mask was previously used to protect against pollution in urban areas but now it means so much more doesn't it yeah absolutely well i think that we've hit on all 10 consumer trends uh are there any takeaways you want the audience to think about anything specific you've learned while assembling writing these trends and, and kind of looking at them through this uh, through this lens? Well, for me, um, I think when we were putting this together, something I've seen evolve more again this year, and it's something that's been happening for a while, is how these consumer trends are blurring across categories and across age groups. And 
you know, many of the consumer trends nowadays are driven by younger generations, but the reality is all age groups are adopting similar habits and behaviour. Um, and now, of course, with this awful virus, this is the case even more. Like I mentioned, older generations using technology and shopping online and even taking part in live video conferencing with family and, you know, doing puzzles or doing quizzes or having dinner together virtually. Um, so that's quite interesting. But then also you've got younger generations doing some very old fashioned things like traditional physical puzzles. Um, you know, not using their phones so much at times. So it, it's quite interesting how things are all kind of merging more and more. Um, and I think for business, what that means, they can look at their services and products and really evaluate what other opportunities have come about or what new audiences they can adapt to. Um, and the other thing that COVID-19 has done um, is showing us how important it is to be agile and flexible and how we can be, um, how quickly we can adapt. So, you know, We've mentioned some of these things, but restaurants um, suddenly changing to takeaway services, pubs turning into grocery stores and small local businesses doing home deliveries. They're, they're all new opportunities. Yeah, I'm doubling down a lot on, you know, uh, local restaurants in the area. You know, I'm, there's a lot of, of things that I can do at home. I'm, I'm cooking a lot more than I ever did. But on the other hand, I want to support the local restaurants in the area. So I'm getting, you know, every every weekend I'm like, OK, I'm going to do three meals at home, dinner every night, you know, from some local place. So I think we've seen how a big, huge global event like COVID-19 really feels chaotic now, but it can solid solidify emerging trends in a flash. Just look at multifunctional homes or proudly local going global inclusive for all or it can just turn them inside out and upside down. I think the last thing to remember is a crisis often forces people to try new things to behave differently and these short-term changes are going to have really long-term impacts. Indeed. Well, yes. Thank you, Gina and Ali. It's been a great conversation. Um, and thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It's been, really, it's been great. really good. Thank you. And if you're interested in reading the Top 10 Global Consumer Trends 2020 report, you can find it on Euromonitor's blog at blog.euromonitor.com. You can also find a webinar on our blog, which looks at how COVID-19 is affecting each consumer trend in detail. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Data. We hope you continue to listen as we dive into research, data, and everything in between.